Hi, this is Jonathan Yim, video coordinator and player development coach with the Portland Trailblazers. On this episode of At Large with Alex Wong, I talked about coaching a high school team with a carpet floor, becoming a video intern in the NBA, and what I'm currently doing with the Blazers. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you for making the time. I know you had some trouble getting into Toronto, so I really appreciate it. No, thank you. I'm really happy uh, that we were able to connect and we were able to do this. Yeah, so we, how do we connect? So I saw you doing a television interview earlier this year during a Blazers game. And like, I don't, I don't watch the play Blazers like as regularly as like other teams. This is something that you do regularly, right? When the coach has a scout, they do the halftime interview. So I was doing the halftime interview, I think, for that game. And uh, you tweeted about it, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah, I did. I was, uh, I'm always fascinated when I just see like another Asian in yeah. any capacity in like the NBA. And what was crazy was when I clicked on your Twitter profile, I had listened to your podcast. I think it was the Crazy Rich Asians guy. Yeah, Ronnie Chang. Ronnie Chang. Yeah, I had listened to him. And I put two and two together. I was like, man, I listened to that guy. Okay. So um, I think I tweeted back at you. Or you sent me, a, sent message. me a message. You sent me a message because I think I had made a joke on Twitter, which is actually not a joke, that I saw you last year when the Blazers were here. And I saw you in the locker room. And every time I see, because I don't know if you know how many like, Asians there are like on team staffs in the NBA. Yeah. Like in not terms many. of like in terms of like like trainers, equipment guys. I know there's one on the Celtics that's worked there for a very long time. Um and off the top of my head, that's honestly the only one that I can think <laughs> of. So when I saw you, every time I see someone and I'm standing with the other reporters, I'm always like, "Oh my god, there's another Asian." And they're like, "Why are you so excited about this right now?" And I'm like, "You'll never you'll never get it." Like it's it, I guess it's not like that serious to them. But it's like it's cool to see like in any like workplace or whatever, just someone who like looks like you or like, you know, has like similar shared experiences. And I feel like I don't know if you agree, like for people like us, like that is like rare sometimes. Yeah, it's um, there's not a lot of Asians that are in the NBA. So to be one of the few, you know, I'm proud of that, obviously. And um, yeah, it's cool. I mean, we all know each other. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go, you know, uh, just be like, hey. So, um, but yeah, it's definitely cool. Yeah, because I gave you what I call like just an Asian nod. Yeah, I I, I'm sure we did that. <laughs> yeah. There's like, it's it's almost a guarantee we did that. Do you watch, you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? No. Like, it's, okay, so like. A little bit. I've seen a yeah, few Yeah, so like Larry yeah. David has a joke on there. I think there was one episode where like, just because he's bald like bald guys have like a thing where they acknowledge each other okay. when they see each other. So, so that's, it's kind of like the Asian <laughs> version of that, right? So anyways, that's how kind of how we connected. And, you know, I read up about you a little bit more. And, you know, I really wanted you to come on just because I feel like a lot of people in your role, kind of a behind the scenes role, right? Like head coaches and players are, are going to the podiums, doing press conferences, you know, they get articles written about them. They're featured, but like, Someone in your role does a lot of the a lot of the work that helps contribute to what they do, right? And you know, I definitely want to talk to you about that. So you have a pretty interesting story of how you ended up with the Blazers. So like maybe you can start wherever you want to pick your starting point 
Oof. of your story. Yeah. Okay. Well, I started coaching when I was really young, 14. Um, I did it to get community service for college while I was in high school and just kind of worked my way up through the youth levels, boys and girls club, and then club basketball and um, eventually high school basketball. So I coached high school basketball, I think for maybe eight years and um, various levels girls and boys and um i was at a high school and one day um this guy comes and he had just been let go by the new jersey nets and he he was a shooting coach he was jason Kidd's shooting coach and he was giving out these flyers and i was a junior varsity coach at the time and uh, our varsity coach just kind of threw all the flyers into the trash cans well I picked it out of the trash can for two reasons. One, I really liked what he said, you know, talk to us about shooting. But then I actually really liked the flyer that he put together too, so I was gonna steal it for my own. Um, so a couple kids on my club team, they were looking for a shooting coach and we ended up hiring Bob, Bob Tate. And he would come in and work out with my kids and stuff like that. And I would sit and watch and kind of just learn from him. And we'd talk and I'd pick his brain. And he's very knowledgeable and he's been around for a lot, lot of years at different levels. And one day he just invited me up to come work with Luke Walton, who was at the Laker, with the Lakers at the time. And drove up with him and Luke liked me and Bob liked what I did, you know, rebounded past and helped him out. And just kind of, we started a relationship and I would go help Bob with other NBA guys and other players, college guys too. And that's just kind of how I kind of got started, I guess. What was it? Cause you're coaching at the age of 14. Like yeah. a lot of guys, I guess at that age, if they want to get into sports might want to pursue playing it, right? Yeah. What was it for you? Like the coaching aspect of it? Well, I mean, I played high school basketball. I was, I was a golfer as well. I was better actually at golf than basketball. Um, but for me, I really liked the teaching aspect and I liked the idea of using your brain, kind of outsmarting the other guys. Cause I was younger. So I was coaching against like a lot of dads at the time. And I really took great satisfaction at just kind of outsmarting them, especially at that age. So, you know, um, but I really, I just, I'm, I mean, I'm competitive in general and I just really fell in love with the, you know, different, like just being on the different side, coaching and stuff. And um, I got a lot of pride, uh, I was pride and joy watching the kids when we worked on something and they got better at it and they, you know, would utilize different skills that we worked on in the games. So, and so did you like when you were watching like basketball, watching NBA growing up, were you watching at it from like a very like strategic kind of standpoint at that age in terms of like, you know, like X's and O's and looking for things like that? Um, I mean, knowing what I know now, maybe a little bit when I was younger. <laughs> You didn't think about it that way, though. No, I mean, I you know, is the I loved watching Sacramento play. 
Uh, it was when C Web was there and Vladi yeah. and the Rick Adelman. Yeah, teams. and they were running a lot of like elbow stuff, this Princeton offense. And um, I remember <laughs> I'd be like, oh, let's try this, you know? Um, with I just liked how it looked, I guess, and stuff like that. So I think that I tried to copy some plays and stuff like that. I don't know if it worked. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but I think what I really enjoyed about that time was it really allowed me to just kind of experiment and just kind of learn and it gave me kind of a platform just to kind of find my voice i guess a little bit um i think in high school for a lot of kids you're just kind of searching for like who am I? Yeah. What am I? You know, what am I about? Yeah, what you you're know? about, what you're good at. Yeah. What you want to do. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. So being a coach and I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And, you know, more importantly, and I've told kids this too, especially those kids that I've coached when I was younger, it made me really think about things that I was doing every day because I knew that I had kids that looked up to me as a role model, as a mentor, whatever, even though I was still young. So I really tried my best not to do things that would get me in trouble that they would kind of look at or be like, hey, what are you doing, you know? Um, try, try to live a life, you know, if I'm preaching one thing, I'm not gonna act a different way. So I, I thought that that was kind of important for me, especially at that time so tell me about like your high school coaching career highlights and potentially lowlights right um <laughs> well my high school coaching career wasn't it wasn't great um when i was a lower level coach i think i was really good um we had i coached some really good teams and i was at santa margarita which is a state perennial state powerhouse school coaching lower levels and i left to go coach at a small christian school and they were probably the worst team in california we weren't very good um we played on carpet I oh, hold, on, hold on hold on what is this playing on carpet tell me a little bit more about this well it was a church so okay. is the crystal cathedral is um i'm sure everyone knows they're they're on tv all the time our power robert schuler so he had a high school it was primarily an art school and my dad actually was a minister there so that's how i was affiliated with the school and they were looking for a basketball coach and and the pastors asked me to coach and i was, I was like i didn't you guys have a basketball team and they're like yeah and i was like are you guys any good and they all kind of just looked at me and were like not really so they played on carpet. The court was not a uh, standard length or dimension, court dimensions. It was longer by 20 feet and wider by eight feet. And it was all carpet. It was all carpet. So the ball bounced funny. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was gonna ask. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember the first day I went to practice, kids were wearing khakis and they were wearing dress shoes and um, they only practice twice a week, and and when you coming from where I came from, that was kind of unheard of. And they didn't. I don't know if they really took it very serious. So 
I come in and I'm like, well, we're going to practice every day and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I remember our first game, Liberty Christian High School, uh, we lost by like 70 points. <laughs> yeah. And I, my mom came to the game and she was going, what's wrong with them, you know? And I was just happy we scored, honestly. I think I called four timeouts in the first quarter just trying to get a basket. And after the game, I remember the parents came up to me and I thought they were going to be upset because we just lost by 70. And they came and they said, Coach Jim, that was the best they've looked ever. And I was like, what? Really? So um, that was a low light and a highlight, I guess, at the same time. And I ended up staying for two years there. Did the team get better? Yeah, we won a, a school record. My first year, we didn't win a single game. Um, and I couldn't leave. I'm too competitive. And for me, when I preach something about being dedicated and being yeah, and being committed and stuff like that, I didn't feel like it was right for me to leave after one year when all those kids had committed and put in the time and were fully invested. So I wanted to stay one more year just, I mean, so we could win maybe. And um, so my second year, we won a uh, school record, three games. And <laughs> do you remember that first win? I mean, I, I imagine that first win must have been like exhilarating for you uh, and the players. It was, it was like, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it sounds kind of corny, I guess, but um, that was definitely one of my favorite wins that I've had as a coach. We looked, we looked like a basketball team and uh, it was a close game and um, we just, we pulled it out. It was, I think I cried a little bit afterwards. I was just, I was happy. I think the kids were finally happy. See all their hard work kind of come together. Yeah. So like you go from that and then what's next? So I was still working with Bob during that time, Bob Tate, and uh, the Clippers were looking for a shooting coach. And they called Bob, and they were interviewing uh, and trying out some guys. And how old were you at this time? I was a little older. I was 28, I think. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so Bob and I went up to the Clippers facility uh, during the summer, and we worked out Blake and DeAndre. And Blake really took a liking to what Bob was teaching. And... Bob had a great resume having coached Jason, Jason Kidd and working with him. And, um, I think Blake really bought into what Bob was teaching him. So they hired Bob and Bob would bring me up with them every day during the summer. And I would rebound and help out. And uh, they would have like open runs at the facility and I would you know, just grab a towel and just kind of stand there and help out. And I eventually started talking to Mark Ivoroni and Vinny Del Negro and the GM at the time was Gary Sachs and um, Raman Sposato was the video coordinator and Mohamed Dakil. And I just tried to convince him to, I was like, I can do more than just rebound and do all this. Like, I love an opportunity to do something more here. And finally, I still remember it was like September 11th of that year, uh, Raman came up to me and said, so we decided we'd love for you to become an intern in the video room. And 
I accepted and um, that's kind of how I got started in the NBA. What was that day like for you? Like I imagine like you must have, you know, told your family and things like that and, and having coached like at the different levels like that must have been like a big moment for you, right? Yeah, well, it was, it was, it was definitely a big moment. Um, I had uh, some other options that I was thinking about because like when you're, I think you're kind of like when you're in high school, you're trying to figure out what you want to do. And I, I was teaching and I was coaching and, and the internship was kind of every day and it was basically a full-time job. So, you know, it was, it's, it was kind of risky, I think at the time, because, you know, I had to quit teaching and quit coaching high school and kind of quit club. And it was also um, very time consuming because I live in Orange County. So I wasn't gonna move up to LA for an internship. So I ended up having to drive every morning. And how far is that drive? It's about 50 miles. Okay. So, and the crazy thing is- And you know, LA traffic. Yeah, too, LA right? traffic. Yeah. So if I didn't leave my house, if I left my house after 5.30 a.m., it'd take me like two hours, two and a half hours to get there. Because along the way, there's so many colleges. So I'd have to leave my house like 5, 5.15 a.m. And then going home, if, if I could leave by like 2.33, it'd take me about an hour to get home. But if I was going to leave after that, I was better off just staying there till like 7.30. So um, that, that was definitely a part of it. So when you start with the Clippers, like, I don't know whether it's, you know, your first day there or your first week there, like, what, what was that like? Because I just imagine, like, I know you have the previous coaching experience, but now you're joining an NBA team and, and maybe there's a different level of expectation. Like, did you go in, go, did you go in like, thinking or knowing that, you know, what you needed to do or was it kind of just figuring out as you went? Uh, Raman and Mo did a really good job of working with us and teaching us the game. And we watched a lot of basketball there until, especially during like the preseason and just kind of learning the NBA game. It's it's a different game than high school, even college. Um, terminology is different. The strategy philosophy is different. And, you know, it's just, it. I knew kind of coming in that I was, a little bit further behind than probably some of the other people that were there. And I just had to work harder than all of them. That was the main thing. Um, I didn't have the pedigree and I didn't really have the background that some other, the other people had. So the only way that I could kind of compete or I don't know if it's compete, but the only way that I could um, kind of make myself stand out was I just had to have this work ethic and um, put in the time that maybe other people didn't want to or couldn't so so that was kind of like the thing that that you know you figured out early on that would kind of maybe you know compared to yeah. other people make you stand out a little bit yeah I really tried my best to just do a little bit of everything also and I re I really like I don't know how it is now, but at that time, the front office was very small. So 
there was three interns, me and two other people. We were able to do a lot of stuff, which was awesome. So I did some college stuff. I helped out with the draft stuff. I did some salary cap stuff, analytics. I did the video work with the team, um, scouting. Um, they would send us to games to do like advanced scouting. So it was really cool. It really was like an internship internship because we, I was able to have my hand in a lot of different areas and they really allowed me to kind of see what I really liked and what I really enjoyed. And what did you really like and enjoy out of all those things that you had just mentioned, right? That you had your hands in? Probably the scouting and the coaching um, the most. I just like coming up with the strategy and helping work with the coaches on figuring out a game plan how to stop certain guys, what might work offensively, defensively, um, you know, preparing. It's, it's, I always like to think it's like a test, you know, when you're back in school and you're studying and you're trying to find the answers. Yeah. You're finding the out, answers right? and you're trying to figure out what, what the solutions are. And, um, and then your test is the game when you get out there. Right. So if we lose, I'd always feel like, all right, man, what do I need to work on and get better at? What did we miss? And if we won, I was like, all right, we did a good job, you know? Because um, I think for like a player or a coach, a player can be judged on the numbers that he puts up, right? A coach, obviously, like how he manages players, wins and losses. Like how, whether it's the role with the Clippers and we can talk about your role with the Blazers as well. Like how is someone in your role being judged on whether you're doing well or not? That's something that I've always been curious about. Because obviously, like, if your team wins and loses, it's not really all on you. It's not because of your scouting report or not. It contributes to it, right? But, like, how are you being judged? Like, how does someone say that, oh, Yim's doing a good job versus not? I think in my role, just being available and being accessible to everybody is very important. I might get... Like CJ might hit me up and say, hey, can I get my shots from like the last 10 games? And I'll get it to him as soon as I can. Or Dame could be like, I want to see all my pick and rolls. Um, Nurk, could, Nurk could say, or Myers could say, hey, tonight we're playing Gasol, right? I want to watch my post defense on Gasol from like the last couple of years. So being available and being accessible, I think is important, even with the coaches when they have questions or they need something, being able to answer it and um, being able to help them find the answer, I think is very important. Yeah, and you know, I assume, like I wanna trace your career from the Clippers to the Blazers, but I assume you've grown, have you grown more comfortable just in terms of maybe making more suggestions, whether it's to players or to coaches, like in-game, between games and things like that, just seeing the game. are you? Do you feel like you see the game differently now than like when you first came in? Yeah, I see the game a lot differently. <laughs> like in, in what ways? Like in ways well, that you can tell me. Yeah. When it's funny, because I'll watch the game and I'll know like the play, play that's coming up. And I could just be with my friends and I'll, it's like Tony Romo, you know, he's like, watch for Edelman across the middle. And <laughs> so you'll show off to your friends like that? <laughs> kind of. I'll be, they'll be like, I like that. They'll be, my friends will be like, I like that play. And I'm like, they ran it wrong. That, that's not how it's supposed to go. They just lucked into that. Um, 
are you good enough to know when certain uh like out of bounds like out of timeout plays are coming <laughs> i just want to know your like level Not, of tony romo-ness uh sometimes i think that we're able to spot tendencies so certain coaches might like certain actions a lot better so we might be able to spot those and we might be able to tell the players hey this might be coming or this could happen but I feel like coaches have they have such a large index of plays that they can go to. I find it so fascinating too because, like you brought up Tony Romo, and it's like a lot of us, um, whether you know fans or writers, like we watch the game kind of a different way, right? Like fans watch it for a lot of the entertainment value, whereas like I feel like for for you as a coach, like you look at it as kind of like a chess match, right? It's like the game is like whatever, how many, however many possessions a game, a hundred possessions. Like, how are we gonna maximize those possessions versus their a hundred possessions, and kind of figure out those details? And uh, I'm guessing like you take a lot of maybe joy in kind of figuring that stuff out. Yeah, I like to. I take I do take a lot of joy in trying to figure out that, but I also like watching to see what type of adjustments coaches make and. You know, coming out of halftime, what are they doing? Maybe after a timeout, will they zone? Will they trap? Like, what's the strategy? Here, like, we played Brooklyn the other night, and we were, Nurk and Canner were killing them inside. And I thought they went zone because they don't want to double because we were just, we would kill them from the outside. So they went zone in order to combat the post, post up. So, just sitting there and watching that, I was like, well, you know, that's actually kind of smart, I think. You know, it is a little, it's a little different. Um, but that, you know, that put that in my head and maybe use that in the future. Yeah. And also think about like if a team does that again, like what's your adjustment? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like kind of those different levels. Um, so take me, you know, you have the Clippers role. Um, how many years were you there? And then how does, how do you end up in Portland? I was with the Clippers for one year and Portland was looking for a video coordinator and Neil had been with the Clippers previously. Yeah, so Neil Olche. Yeah, our GM. And he, I think he reached out to the Clippers and was just asking um, about possible video guys and my name came up, I guess. And um, I got a call from Coach Stotts it was a Wednesday. It was late at night, and his uh, area code's Milwaukee. So I'm thinking, like, did I not pay the mortgage? Or like, you know, who's calling me? Like someone's home? coming up. Yeah, you know, who's it's calling like those, me? That nervousness you get when it's like a random number. I almost didn't answer it because I was. Imagine if you didn't, and that was the only call you ever got. <laughs> that would be <laughs> revisionist history there. Yeah, so you get the call, and yeah. Coach and I talked about it. Talked for about an hour, and the next day they offered me the job. And a couple of days later, I was in Portland. So it just, it was a whirlwind. It just kind of happened really quick, uh, right before the season. And I just I feel like I just got lucky and blessed. And and how did your role change? Or did it change at all when you joined the Blazers? So I became the, I became the head video coordinator with the Blazers. Um, so I was in charge of the video room and um, in charge of a couple guys, and um, I got to travel full time, and 
um, that's pretty much the only things that changed. Is is crazy because with the Clippers we used a completely different software too, and uh, coming to the Blazers, it was an adjustment and it took it took some time. And I was happy um, the coach was really patient with me um, because I was messing up a lot early on, and but you know I'd work like that's I think that. For me, when I when I'm not very good at something, I want to be good at. I, maybe that's an Asian thing. I don't know, right? Um, See, when it's an Asian speaking to an Asian, it's an Asian thing. It's a, yeah, right. It is an Asian thing. It's like when you write, right? Yes, you you're like, well, I think that could be better. So you might. Yes, yes. I, I think there is something, and obviously, I don't want to make it sound like it's only us, like yeah. only Asians. But like, I think there is something innate about us where it's kind of like this, like constant search for like improvement. Yeah, like it's like I don't know about you, but like I never feel like satisfied, or like when I do something, or you know, when I write a story that I'm proud of, like I always just have moved on to the next thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, like I don't yeah. like to dwell on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're similar in that way. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I just try to get better at it and. They would ask me questions I didn't know the answer, so I'd go back to the room and I would sit there for like an hour and just try to figure it out and call people and ask them questions like, "How do I do this?" and "What am I supposed to do here?" and whew, it was a it was a rough couple of weeks there to start. And um, coach stuck with me and he was patient. And he was understanding, and I I always really appreciated that at that time. You know, moving to a new city and not knowing anybody and you know, jumping right into it and feeling pressure because now you're not an intern anymore and stuff like that. And just to have someone kind of that had your back, I've always, I've always really appreciated. Yeah, and he had mentioned in an interview before that one of the things that he really likes about you is that you like to think outside the box. I'm wondering if you have an example or can speak to what he meant by that. So when I got to Portland, they were kind of they're using iPads. Um, LaMarcus would have an iPad on the bench and um, things like that. I think we just kind of expanded on that and we kind of took it to another level when we got there. Um, so now every player has an iPad. At halftime, everyone gets clips. Um, we, do, we do a lot of pregame stuff with iPads. I think we were kind of maybe one of the first couple teams to do that. Um, our our team, our IT team, Mike Janes and um, a couple other guys really pushed for HD. So we, I think we were one of the first teams to record in HD the game. Now it's a mandate across the league that you have to have that HD uh, feed. Um, the newest thing that we've kind of done we have the we have this great uh, programmer. So I was talking to him because we were watching Brooklyn play and. Kenny Atkinson was using the iPad as a whiteboard. So I said, why can't we do that? Let's do that. So we came up with um, we came up with a program. Uh, his name is Joe Lee. He's Korean also. Um, smart guy. Him and I were going to develop a multi-million dollar app one of these days. So, so Koreans are fueling the Blazers' success? No. Is that like the aggregation? No, no, no. definitely not. <laughs> um, but we came up with the iPad uh, 
app for him to use. So now he has a, instead of a whiteboard, he uses an iPad. So just, we, we try to stay current and use technology to better the staff and the players. And, um, and I think that that's not just me, it's also the performance staff and um, everyone throughout the organization. We just, I mean, we have so much technology available to us, so we just see how we can utilize it to better the team. Is that an ultimate career goal for you? And is that something, I mean, I guess that's an obvious question. I would assume everyone wants to be a head coach. You know, how much have you thought about it and how do you apply that, you know, in your maybe day-to-day life of kind of attaining that goal or think making that goal realistic, right? That is, uh, that is my goal eventually to hopefully get there. Um, I just, for me, I just study the game as much as I can. I write down a lot of notes. Like if I see something that I like, I'll jot it down. If a situation happens in a game, our game or another game that I see, I'll just kind of remember it and uh, put it away and stuff like that. Just so maybe I can use it in the future. Um, just trying to get better, just kind of improving. And I think it just takes time. I think everybody, everybody's always looking ahead and they always want to get to like this end point or whatever it is, right? For me, I just try to stay where I am in the moment now and just try to be the best I can be right now and eventually just work, hopefully, working hard and putting myself in the right position and doing the right things will ultimately lead me to where I want to go. And, you know, if it doesn't, like I was really happy as a high school basketball coach and a teacher. So, you know, I'm going to try my best to reach the ultimate goal. And if it doesn't work out, I know I'll be all right or I'll be all right because I know that I gave, I gave it my best shot. And my best effort, I did everything possible to uh, achieve that goal. So, tell me about this Iron Man thing that you did. So, when I turned thirty, I wrote down a list of a bunch of things that I wanted to accomplish, and um, I thought it was important for me to have a list because there, being Asian in the NBA, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to move up no matter what. But I remember talking to an executive and he said, you know, being Asian might hurt you because there's not a lot of like Asian players and um, there's you don't really see Asian people in on staffs and coaches. So I try to think of like the hardest things that I could do because I think moving up, being a coming assistant coach and being becoming a head coach eventually that's really difficult and if i could accomplish these goals then maybe i could accomplish a career goal and so doing an ironman was one of the goals that i had on there and um it took i think three years for me to accomplish that the first year i had to lose a lot of weight and then the second year I ran, I did a couple half Ironmans. And then this last summer, I completed a full Ironman. Yeah, tell the listeners what like the full Ironman consists of. So the full Ironman is 
1.6 miles. It's a. <laughs> is it one? Shaking my head. Wait, is it 140? What is it? I think it's. I'm, I know it's over 140 miles. I don't know what the point That's is. Intense. We can figure that out. I think it's a 2.4 mile swim, 116 mile bike ride, and then a 26.2 mile run. So it's a full marathon run at the end. And yeah, it was. Um, it's definitely something that I'm really proud of to have accomplished. And I put in a lot of time and effort to train for it. And. Yeah, is definitely it's just really cool. I really enjoyed it. I really I enjoy competing and racing and working on it. And because it's funny when I first was gonna do the half, I called this coach to work with me because I, I was like I I don't know if I'm gonna be able to finish this half. And she goes, "Are you a swimmer? Did you swim?" And I was like, "Listen, I just kind of taught myself." I went to across the street to the gym and I can do like 20 laps. And she goes, well, you know, it's like the half is 1.2 miles. So or she goes, you know, it's 1.2 miles. And I go, yeah, 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 I got it. I got it. She's like, well, can you bike? I was like, well, you know, I do the spin class and, you know, like that's about an hour. And she goes, do you own a bike? I go, I don't own a bike. And she goes, well. So you weren't checking off any boxes no. that she was so, asking. So she goes, well, yeah. you have to be a runner then, right? Did you run? And I go. The most I've run so far is eight miles. And she goes, well, how, how do you expect? Like, she's like, I don't know if you can do it. You only have a month to prepare. Like, how are you going to do this? I said, whatever I lack in experience, I'm going to make up with heart. And I'm going to get this done. So she said, okay, and I'll train you. And she trained me for that month. And I went to Hawaii my first year and did the half Ironman there. And um, just kind of built up from there and. I wanted to get faster, so I did another one and um, continued to train and did that one even better and um, got the full in last year. So what's next on that list that you made? Or is there, what, what can you share with me about the rest of that list? So like, I mean, some of it's like stupid stuff and like I want to hike Kilimanjaro. I think that'd be kind of cool. Um, and a lot of it's things that when you tell to people like, hey, I'm going to do this, they're kind of like, oh, no, you, you can't do that, you know, or I don't think you can do that. Don't and you, Don't you kind of love when people say that? Like, isn't that yeah, like a motivating thing? Yeah, because then I go, well, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. So and um, every time I check off one of those boxes or check do something that I don't think that I don't think that people think I can do. It just reinforces in me like, hey, like you're capable of doing something great. Like you can do this. Like, I always get emotional when I run the Ironman around the last mile because I'm like, I can't believe you just did that. Like that was incredible. Like, wow, you know? And it j just, like I said, it just kind of reinforces in me like, hey, you have this huge goal and the odds are against you and people might not think that you can do it and all that but you know you you kind of proved people wrong here you did this or you did that and you know you, you're going to be able to do this if you continue to work and put in the time and you know do things the right way you mentioned too at the 
started that part of the conversation, you know, talking to an exec and him mentioning that, you know, it might be tough because there's not a lot of Asians in the prominent coaching roles in the NBA. I'm curious, like for you personally, as a fourth generation Korean American growing up in California, what was it like kind of figuring out? I know you were talking about earlier in high school, you're figuring out what you want to do, what you want to be. How did kind of your identity and your race play a part in that in terms of, you know, figuring that out growing up? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't really accepted in the Asian community. Um, being a fourth generation Korean American, I didn't speak Korean. Um, so kind of Korean, the Korean people are kind of mean to me. Um, cause I, you know, I, I, I acted very American. I was very Americanized. Um, just the way I was brought up and grown up, grew up. Um, I just had a lot of American tendencies and characteristics in me. So, you know, they call me banana and Twinkie and all that stuff. And um, Was that hard for you? No, I didn't Did really you care? care. I didn't really care. Did you care? Honestly. Yeah. Um, like, I didn't, I don't... Yeah, I don't. I don't think I cared that much at that time because I mean, I have really, I have really good friends, and um, I didn't think it mattered so much and stuff. And like, I tell my mom this all the time. I say, she goes, "Well, what's like a goal or dream?" I was like, "I want to coach the Korean national team," and she goes, "Well, you don't speak Korean, so I don't know if they're gonna ha- like take you over there." And I said, "Mom, if you're successful and you're good." And you just know what you're talking about. Like, they'll take me. They'll take me. And uh, she just kind of goes, okay, we'll see. But I think that that's just kind of, like, my view is very American, right? And I think that, like, she's trying to say, it's not that she doesn't believe that I can do that. It's that just their thinking over there and Mm. just their thinking is very kind of. It's a cultural difference, right? Yeah, it's very much so. So, um yeah, they, I mean, it's different. They're mean. You know, I'm cool with them. <laughs> Whatever. You know, when I hear like Jeremy, like Jeremy Lin obviously is an obvious example. Like I hear him talk all the time and he was on the podcast talking about it too, that after Linsanity and everything that happened, like he thought a lot about, at first he ran away from the fact that, you know, everybody wanted to talk to me just because I was, I was Asian American. Like he just wanted to be known as a basketball player. But now, now like he's 30 and he is more accepting of the fact that hey i'm a role model people look up to me like i'm one of the few people in that position and you in a way is the same way right like you when people see or find out that you're a korean american on an nba coaching staff like there's no other person like do you like have you thought about those things in terms of now kind of embracing the fact of your identity and and being in that position Um. I don't, I don't know. It's, I, I think it's, I just kind of look at it like I'm just me, <laughs> you know, I don't know. And I really haven't really thought of it, you know, as being a role model or anything. You want to be seen based on like what you accomplish, right? Yeah. Like it's less about like, oh, like I'm a Korean American in the NBA. Cause we don't really do that with other people, right? Mm-hmm. We just kind of, I mean, I think we judge people based on the type of person they are and the type of work ethic that they have. So, 
you know, I think that at least in our organization, I don't think I'm judged differently or treated differently because I'm Asian. You know, they just know me because of me, I guess. Who, who are you like close with? I'm really close. I feel like I'm really close with um, most of the guys, especially the guys that have been there for a while. It's like Dame, and CJ, and Myers, and Nurk. But um, I also feel like I'm really close with a lot of guys that aren't even on the team anymore, too. So. And is there a particular guy that's Stoskis? And I've been close with um, Noah Vonley and Pat Connaughton and Mason. But I think that. Um, one guy that I was really close with and I'm still very close with is um, Ed Davis. And what was that kind of relationship like in terms of building that with Ed? Well, Ed Ed was kind of like the first guy that really trusted me and um, really kind of like let me work him out and um, really picked my brain. Like when I think of like how I kind of got my confidence and stuff like that, I think like Ed had a really big part of giving me confidence. Like I can coach and I can help, you know, develop guys. And when I give him, you know, watch video with him or give him tips or things like that. And he takes it, you know, to heart, like that, like maybe I do know my stuff. And, you know, for me, you know, obviously we talked about growing and, getting better and stuff like that. It's good to see every once in a while um, what you're saying and what you're working on with him and stuff like that uh, being valued. And um, I think that more guys um, had confidence in me because Ed had confidence in me. And, you know, that was really I mean, when he came, he didn't know me from anybody. I used to joke with him that he was with the Lakers the year before, and Jeremy Lin and him were like a really, really good pick and roll combination. So when he left LA and he came to Portland and he saw me, I used to joke like, "Well, it's because you know Jeremy did such a good job with you, you know, your pick and rolls and stuff like that." Yeah, and it's funny because when he left, you went to Brooklyn and Jeremy was at Brooklyn. So I was like, the first day I texted him, I was like, well, you're still going to have an Asian with you, you know? So, um, you know, he, he was very good. And um, I really value my relationship with him and our friendship. Like, I think that's really important in your job, right? To, mm -hmm. to have a player maybe reciprocate and kind of acknowledge the value that you're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. and, and it feels like Ed was one of the first guys. Yeah, and I, you know, it's, I remember he got, so his first year in Portland, he did really, really well. Like, he, he, I think it might have been a career at the time. And we worked during the summer and stuff like that. And his second year wasn't as good. And I felt so bad. And I felt like I let him down. And um, he got hurt. He ended up having season-ending season shoulder surgery. And I remember before he went to go have the surgery, I sat with him and I was like, I'm sorry. And he goes, what are you sorry for? And I was like, I feel like, you know, I could have done this better and I could have done this better for you. I don't think that you had the year that you wanted. And um, like, I'm going to be better. And um, and he was like, I don't, I think he just looked at me like, dude, you're crazy. Like, 
had nothing to do with you. You know, but like I took like because he trusted me, like I really tried my best to to make sure that whatever I told him or whatever we did was really good. And that summer he had surgery and he was coming back. And instead of going to summer league, I told coach, I was like, I want to go to Richmond, which is where he's from and spend time with him there while he was rehabbing. And it was the first time that he was able to practice that summer. And coach was like, are you sure? Because everyone loves summer league. And I was like, yeah, it's really important for me to go because Ed was the first one to trust me. And I feel like I let him down and I have to like, in my mind, go and make it up to him of sorts. Um, and you know, Ed, Ed was great that entire summer we came, he, I was following him to Richmond and then he came to Southern California and we, you know, we worked out and then we were in Portland basically all of the end of July and August. And I was doing the half Ironman still. And, um, he was cool, you know, understanding like, Hey, like I'm going to be gone this week. And he's like, cool. And we'd be, we were fine. Like our facility was closed and we'd find gyms all over Portland. We were going, we must've hit up like 10, 15 different gyms just to make sure that we were getting in the work and stuff like that. And he came back and he was, he was, he looked, he was really good um, last year for us. At least I thought he was, and um, he's having a really good year again this year. I'm really happy for him. How hard do you take it just in general when, you know, a player does well or doesn't do well in terms of how you relate it to whether you take it kind of personally based on what you are trying to teach them or work with them on, right? It's, it's funny. We have a coach that when when um, one of the players might get, not, I don't want to say yelled at, but when he has a bad game or something, one of the coaches will kind of be like, don't take it personally. You know, but I don't, it's, I like the guys, even the guys I don't work with, or I, I you know, I like all the guys and I just want to see them be successful because I know how hard they work at it and I know how much they want it as well. That, especially when they're on our team, I'm rooting for them, you know? Um, so I, I don't. I, I don't want to say I take it hard, but I also take it hard um, because I want to see him do well and I want to see him achieve their goals and their dreams and everything that they want to accomplish. Like, I hope that I'm here long enough in Portland that you know, like I know Dame wants to win a championship. Like, I want to do that with him because I know how much he wants that, and you know, like CJ wants to make an All Star team, and I want you know, I want to see him do that, and. Um, different things like that and i can't remember the year now but the rockets played you guys in the first round i think it was 2014 maybe yeah it was my first year so yeah. 2013 2014 2013, season yeah, i think 20. so for those that don't remember they probably do um dame hit a game winner in game six of that series and you had a unique view a unique perspective to that <laughs> so Chandler Parsons made a layup and there was 0.9 on the clock 
and I was in the back in the video room with a bunch of people and I remember just going oh my goodness I can't believe we got to go back to Houston and um, at the time we were getting ready for the next potential second round opponent and we didn't know who that was at the time it was either going to be Dallas or San Antonio so we had to wait it was we were gonna have to wait for that that one we had to get ready for game seven and I was just upset when Chandler Parsons made that shot and then two minutes later Dame comes around the pick and he lets it go and it goes through the net and it's just jubilation and um, I started hugging people and I remember a couple of guys that I was working with, we were all hugging each other and we're just like, we don't have to go to Houston. We don't have to go to Houston. And we had an extra day to prepare for either the Spurs or the Mavericks. And ah, that was such a that was so that was such a cool moment. And just um just a cool experience to be there. Cause the, I mean you could hear the crowd erupt from where we were back in the locker room. It was that loud and just reverberated throughout the entire place it was yeah that was that was such a cool moment it was good for your job too you didn't have to go to houston yeah (laughs) not that i don't not that i dislike houston yes it's just for for the job yeah it was was gonna be a lot of work dame's been one of the more outspoken guys in terms of loyalty to his team to the city Especially like in this era, like I know as you follow the league, you're in the NBA, you know that guys are switching teams, coming together, things like that. You know, do you have any kind of stories about him or what, what is he like just being around him? Like is what he says, you know, to, to the public kind of reflective of how he carries himself to the people around the organization? Yeah, Dame's real. He's just a real person and um, he's a great guy and he treats everyone with just the utmost respect. It could be a ball boy or an usher, and um, it could be, you know, our general manager. He treats everyone with just respect, and he makes time for everybody, and you know, he he really values people's opinion too, and you know, people can talk to him, and he he'll listen to them, and I think that's really important, you know, especially as a leader. And not just having kind of a set point of view on a certain thing and being receptive to hearing from a lot of different people. And he does a really good job of leading by example. And, you know, he's not very outspoken and he's not going to say things to the media or anything like that. Um, You know, and people just really respect him. And I think that's what makes our organization and our team successful is because of him. You know, he, he, he's the guy, he's the engine for us and he does a really good job just kind of setting the table and this is the expectation and this is how it is here. And when new guys come in, they just kind of buy in because that's how Dame, Dame says it is. You know, my favorite guy on the team is uh, Evan Turner. Like every time I've talked to Evan, like doing an interview or whatever, he's, he's just like a, Good-natured, like, hilarious guy. Well, what what don't we know about Evan that you know? I feel like I'm going to say this about every one of our guys, that they're good guys. But Evan's very generous. Um, he, you know, 
he bought like everybody on our team, like everybody in the building, like AirPods for Christmas, or he just does a lot of things that um, don't go, don't get published, and probably that don't get noticed. But I think it just means a lot to a lot of different people. You know, just like those small gestures to him, it might not seem that big and stuff like that, but for us, like it's really big. And and you know, he's he's very he's very quick witted, and um, he's able to. A room could be a little tense, and he could say something, and it, everyone just kind of starts laughing, and um, he just does. He just has that charm to him that. Um, people like or um you know i really appreciate evan and um, the work that he does and stuff like that he'll guard me when we're going through different things and he'll hit me and kind of play around with me and push me and i think he goes just a little harder when he's guarding me than when he guards the other guys and stuff like that but no et is a great dude um yeah what what is this story about the snakes (laughs) My first year in the league, we were so we beat Houston and we played San Antonio in the second round. I think it was game two. We were in San Antonio and we're getting ready to uh, warm ups. And Thomas Robinson, Will Barton, Earl Watson were all back in the locker room, and I'm setting up the TV. And T. Rob has his headphones on and. He's putting his shoes, his boots into the cubby. And all of a sudden he jumps back and he hits the table. And Will is sitting right next to him. Will goes, what's wrong with you? And T-Rob's like, there's a snake in my locker. And all of us kind of look at him. And we're like, no. Like, yo, you're just seeing things. And Will goes to look at it. And he jumps on his chair. And he's like, there's a snake in the cubby. And so... We all kind of go peer on over, and the next thing I know, we're about 20 feet away, and I'm standing behind Will, and T-Rob's standing behind me, and Earl's standing behind him, and we're all just kind of looking, and what's funny is our massage therapist, uh, she's she's like this little girl, Annie, she comes with a cup, and she goes, I'll pick up the steak, right? And I'm just like, Annie, don't do that, don't do that. So we had to call someone in to come get the snake, and uh, there was this, it was like, they say it was a king snake. I think it was a rattlesnake. That was a baby rattlesnake that was in his locker, is moving around. It was, and I'm terrified of snakes. So, and ever so, so with the, some of those guys, and it was just, that was a crazy, that was probably one of the craziest things that's happened to me since I've been in the NBA. What is it with San Antonio? Because they always have the bats that get in the building. Yeah. Like they've had two of those incidents at least. I guess the rodeo was, um, in town the week before and they had they were bringing the hay and i think snakes i guess get caught up in the hay something to (laughs) take note of (laughs) be careful if you're ever in the spurs locker room yeah um last thing before you go Uh, so the blazers a bunch of them were stuck in an elevator (laughs) earlier this week you weren't one of them right no no you weren't one of them If you had to be stuck in an elevator, say for two hours with one of the guys on the team, who would you want to be stuck with and why? I don't know. 
I don't know that one. No, you don't have an answer. I don't have an answer for that one. I really just wouldn't want to be stuck in an elevator, honestly. <laughs> like, like even with a with with a guy that you really like. No, like, I'm cla- just, like I'm you're claustrophobic. I'm claustrophobic, okay. and okay. I'm glad I wasn't in that elevator because I would have been saying some crazy things, and I'd have been doing some crazy things because I'd have been freaking out. And like, I can't, I can't do planes. You know, I get a little claustrophobic yeah. even on planes. Okay. So just being in an elevator. Yeah, like you, you would not have dealt with that very well. No, a couple of years ago in New Orleans, I got stuck in the elevator heading to the team bus. And that was only like two minutes, maybe three minutes. Just stopped and then started going and I was freaking out and there was no one in the elevator then. So yeah, I just, I can't do that. Would you rather be stuck with like one person or like a bunch of people? I'm assuming not too, you don't want too yeah, many people want, in there, right? Like, they had 10 of them were in there, I think. There was 10. Was it 10, 10 yeah, I read, I read the story. There was 10 total in there. And like two of them or two of them were coaches. So like that's 10 big guys like Myers and Zach and uh, Ennis, Scal. Like those are seven footers. So like those are like two people really, yeah. right? So yeah, that would that would have been good at all. Yeah. Well, awesome. Coach Jim, I really appreciate you making the time coming on telling your story and, and telling some stories about your NBA experience as well and um, best of luck to you and maybe next time you come on I can introduce you as a NBA head coach <laughs> thanks we got we'll, hopefully you'll have the podcast that long <laughs> might be a while <laughs> I got you <laughs> <laughs>